Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Lavernia Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about what you hear, or if you would like to speak with one of our pastors, you can find all of our contact information at www.fbclv.com. This morning I have a confession to make to you. We might can make this part of our uh, weekly service, Confessions of a Pastor. I am a social media lurker. What that means is I don't really post anything on social media. I don't put a lot of pictures on there, make comments on stuff, but I read a lot of things on social media. And it's pretty amazing to me how much you can learn about a person from just looking at their social media presence. And some of those things are very good and helpful for us to know. Other things leave you thinking, why would anybody put that online? So I saw this week one of my friends put a post on the Facebook, and they were talking about a recall that they had on their vehicle, and that's not uncommon. Vehicles have recalls, and most places are really good about fixing them, replacing them. And so this was on a climate-controlled blower. It said it may overheat when the vehicle is running. And you think, okay, well, what happens when a climate-controlled blower overheats? Maybe you're... AC blows a little warm, maybe your heater blows a little cool, maybe a warning light comes on, worst case, you have to roll the windows down. It doesn't seem like a terrible thing. And as it continued, it says, if this device overheats, it will cause the interior of your car to catch on fire. Okay. But don't worry, because we've ordered the parts to replace them, and they'll be here sometime in early 2023. Okay, so my mind thinks that means I may drive down the road and it be like this, nice and easy breezy, smooth sailing, or I may drive down the road and it be like this. Not so bad. So it said very clearly, do not be concerned, do not be too worried unless you see or smell smoke. Wonderful. So I'll just drive my car for the next few months and it may or may not burst into flames while I'm driving down the road. No worries here. And so you have this caution and this thought in your mind, there may be a .000005% that this actually happens to somebody. But what if I'm that one? And so it makes you think, is it worth it? Is it even worth driving the car, even if the chances are so low, this may never happen? If you're that one, you don't want your car to catch on fire while you're driving down the road. Is it worth the risk? And that's the title of this sermon series we're in, Worth the Risk, looking at times in Scripture when God has called individuals to be faithful and to step out and to trust Him because it's worth the risk and seeing just how far we will go to show him that we will be obedient. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel today. It's in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, our scriptures are always on the screen. You're always welcome to take any of these Bibles in the pews, put your name in there, and now you have your own Bible. Daniel chapter three, we're gonna look at the familiar story, and when I say story, that doesn't mean fictional. That just means account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're gonna see three things that they did that we must also do if we are going to step out in faith because it's worth the risk. First, we must find our footing. 
I heard a story about a younger sibling who always wanted to go and play with her brothers, and in the area that they lived, there was the big hill. That's where everybody wanted to go, and the kids would play. They would climb up to the top of the hill. She was never quite old enough till finally she got to that age, and mom and dad said she could go with her brothers. So when they get there, she had this vision in her mind of what it would look like, and the big hill would have a path that you could run up, that you could climb, and it would be smooth without any obstacles. And when she got there, the entire hill was just covered with stones and with bumps. And she told her brother, how am I supposed to even climb this? There's bumps and there's stones everywhere. And he said to her, well, of course there is, because without the bumps and the stones, we'd never be able to get to the top. Many times we have this expectation that our life is going to be a nice, smooth path, sunshine and 67 degrees with free taco stands every one-mile marker, when in truth life is not smooth and it's filled with bumps and stones and obstacles that we walk through. But these aren't to punish us or to harm us. Many times the stones and the bumps and the things that we walk through are a stepping stone that help us get to where we need to be. Let me set up the scene for where we're at in Daniel 3 today and what's happened so far. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he wanted somebody to interpret the dream, so he called together the Chaldeans, the magicians, the sorcerers, the enchanters. He says, I have this dream, and I want you to explain it to me, and if you do, you'll be made famous and rich and wealthy, and you'll be blessed beyond but if you can't explain my dream, you'll be torn limb from limb. No pressure. And so the, they heard the dream. They're like, we don't have any idea what that means. They were honest. And he got really mad. And he goes, okay, well, then every magician, sorcerer, enchanter, any wise man should be put to death. He's fired up, man. They come to Daniel and they say, Daniel, this is what's happening. You're about to be put to death because all wise men are bad according to the king. He goes, no, 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 no. Just let me meet with the king. So he goes to the king, he begins to talk to him, and he says, can you tell me what my dream means? And Daniel says, certainly, I cannot tell you what it means, but God above in heaven can tell me to tell you what it says. You see a dream of a great image, a statue, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, torso of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, and this image is struck and it's broken into many pieces, and he began to explain to the king, this is all about how the kingdoms would arise and they would be formed, and then one day there would be a glorious kingdom that would have no end. King Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel. He recognizes Daniel's God and says, truly, he is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of mysteries. He made Daniel ruler over the province of Babylon, chief over all the wise men, and then he appointed Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be over all the affairs in the province of Babylon. And then we pick up Chapter three, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth was six cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura, the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of this image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So then the satraps, the pretexts, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, all the officials of the provinces, they gathered together for this dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he makes this big statue, and we don't measure things in cubits. And so to think about this in feet, 
it would be 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. That's still pretty hard for us to imagine 99, so we bring it down a little bit more, and let's say it's nine feet tall, right, and one foot wide. I think, okay, like a basketball goal, one foot wide, very tall, very skinny. It would look pretty strange, probably out there in the middle of the plains, and it was covered in gold, beautiful, had to have some kind of crazy strong base so it wouldn't just fall over. So he builds this statue, and he calls everybody together and says, this is what's gonna happen when you get here, verse four. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, O nations, languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're gonna fall down and you're gonna worship this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. You are commanded. So that does not mean it is requested or it is suggested. It means you're gonna do it and you're gonna like it and you're gonna smile while you do it. You're gonna hear the music, the banjerie is gonna play, and then you're gonna fall down and you're gonna worship this image. And if someone says, well, I don't know if I wanna worship that big image. It's kind of tall and skinny and funny looking, and I just, I don't want to. What happens to me if I refuse? Verse six. Whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages, they fell down and they worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. If you decide you're not going to bow down to this, then it's very simple. You'll be thrown into a big fire pit. So you can imagine when all the instruments start to play, guess what everybody did? They fell down and worshiped because they didn't want to be thrown into the big fire pit. Every Sunday that we meet, we look at God's holy word, sometimes in the Old Testament, sometimes in the New Testament. Sometimes we're going through a series, like right now, sometimes we go through a book. Every message that we preach, though, the goal is always, who's writing this? What are they saying to us? Who they're writing to? And what does it mean for me in my life? Because many of you would say, I've heard this story, I've read it, maybe as a child, or maybe last week, or maybe you've never heard this story before. But in all these situations, you still ask the question, what does King Nebuchadnezzar, building a golden statue, telling people to worship it, if not they're thrown into a big fire pit, have to do with me? And make no mistake, God put you in this place today for a reason. Before the beginning of time, God knew that you would be here for these passages today. And you may not have a King Nebuchadnezzar, you may not have a golden statue, but let me tell you what you do have or what you will have. You will have or you do have someone in your life telling you to do something that you don't want to do or know you shouldn't do. And unless you obey, there will be consequences. And maybe you have a boss who's telling you you're gonna cut these corners and you're gonna do this that may be immoral or illegal, and if you don't, you're gonna lose your job. Or maybe it's a teacher or a leader that says you're going to do this, and unless you don't, you're gonna get in trouble. Or maybe it's a group of friends who say unless you do this with us, we're gonna tell people that you're not cool or that you're lame or that you can't be our friend anymore. Or maybe you're in a situation or will be where everybody else is going to the right and God's calling you to go to the left. And everybody else is saying yes and bowing down and you know you're supposed to say 
know when you are scared to death to be the only one standing there, not doing what everybody else has to do. And so what we see here is a picture of predetermined faith. There's a picture that's been going around on the social media, and I really like it. I don't know who coined this phrase, but it says, Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. And what that is not saying is that every Saturday night your family needs to have a meeting, and at 8.30 on Saturdays, y'all sit down and talk about should we or should we not go to church tomorrow? Do we feel like it? What's the weather gonna be like? Are they gonna have donuts? What's the AC situation? Is it fixed? Is it broken? It's not saying that. It's saying going to church on Sunday is a predetermined. You already decided if the church is open and we're not dying, we're gonna be there. Now, I grew up in a house. That's how we lived. My grandpa was my pastor growing up. If the doors were open, you were there. It didn't matter if you liked the church, if you liked the preacher. You didn't have to like the people there. You just went because it's what you did. I'm not saying that's why you should be here. But maybe you didn't grow up in a family that went to church. But maybe your parents did, or very likely your grandparents did. And I'm pretty possible, very positive. Your great-grandparents, they were there all the time because for earlier generations, it was predetermined. If they're having worship, we're gonna be there. And so the decision of whether or not you're gonna worship and be plugged into a church doesn't happen on Sundays. It should be predetermined. What we do when we face the bumps and the stones and we get threatened with the fire should already be predetermined. It's not something we should face in the moment to which we say, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. This is not a situation where we say, okay, looking at Shadrach, Mishnah, Abednego, <clears throat> when they get this choice of whether or not to bow down, in that moment, they didn't have to go, well, you know, let's make a list. Let's write out pros and cons here on the chalkboard, and let's decide whether or not we're gonna bow down. It was predetermined. We are not gonna bow down, and so we predetermined that if everybody else bows down to a false idol, I'm not doing that. It's not happening. We have predetermined that if our boss or if our leader tells us to do something illegal or immoral, I'm not doing it. If they threaten to fire me, that's okay. It's not gonna happen. If my friends try to influence me to do something I know is absolutely wrong, I'm not doing it. It's not a decision I make in that moment. It's predetermined. And so we have to have this foothold that says when I walk through the fire and when I'm in the trial, when the struggles come, and when I'm faced with a temptation or with a threat or a consequence, I don't have to think about it in that moment. It's predetermined that I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do and nothing else. And I'm gonna be faithful, and I'm gonna follow him, and I'm gonna trust him no matter what it's predetermined. But many times we're still faced with that fear. So we have to learn, <clears throat> number two, is we have to learn how to fight the fear. I want you to watch this video, and it makes me very uncomfortable to watch this video. I don't really like anything about it, but it is the epitome of what I would say is you hanging on by just a thread. So you see this guy, he's hanging over this thing, and this guy starts to cut his rope. Just a little bit. He's going, oh, that's exciting. I'm so glad you are doing that. Just a little bit, arms wide open. Oh, look, it's getting smaller. This gives me palpitations. 
I might have to take a nitro pill in a minute. Look, just a little bit more. All that guy's weight just hanging off that cliff. This is unbearable. Look at the little string. It's just barely hanging. Oh, oh, look. Oh. Now, within this room, some of you are going, what is wrong with him? And others of you are going, that was awesome. So in my house, there's not enough money in this world that you could pay me to hang off the side of that bridge and somebody cut that bungee cord. $50 billion, I'm not doing that. But my wife, if you gave her the opportunity, she'd be like, what time do we leave? And when people get excited about something like that, it just makes me ask the question, what happened to you as a child? <laughs> Did you have a traumatic experience that we need to talk about? I know counselors, I will put you in contact with them. That doesn't look like a good time, that looks terrible. But sometimes that's how we feel. We feel like we're hanging off a bridge and we're just barely hanging on, just by a thread. Gosh, and we're so tired and we're beat down, and we're wore out, and all we can think about is the challenge, the consequence, or the fear of what's coming next. How do we fight that fear? Daniel chapter three, verse eight. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans, so magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, they came forward and they maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigger, and harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So the Chaldeans, the magicians, they don't like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They don't like him at all. So they're saying, we're going to go and we're going to tattletale and get you guys in trouble because we see what you're doing there. So they go, king, live forever. We need you to know this because this is very important. We have done everything you have asked us to do. We have bowed down and we have worshiped this image. But there are three Jews, Lord, that you put in charge. They should be examples and they should be leaders. They should be do everything right and they will not bow down. And so we wanna know what are you gonna do about it, O great king, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigger, and the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Listen, guys, we have a really good relationship. We just had that situation back there with Daniel and how he interpreted the dream. That was really cool, and I know you're close to him. And in this moment, we don't see anything about Daniel. It's not because he's bound down. We can only believe that he's off doing business. He's working somewhere. 
But listen, I know you guys, and I know you want to do this, and so maybe this is all it's a big understanding. Maybe the Chaldeans don't like you. Maybe you stole their spot at breakfast this week, so they're trying to get you in trouble. I'm going to give you a second chance because that's just the kind of guy I am. So they're going to play all that music jamboree again, and when they do, just fall down and worship, and all is good. You can go back home. Everything's fine. But just to be clear, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. See, that's the way the king handles business. So surely... They're gonna listen because they know what's gonna happen to them. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the golden image that you have set up. We have nothing to say to you in this matter. That simply means there's nothing else for us to say because our minds are not gonna be changed. We have predetermined we are not gonna bow down. So here's what's gonna happen. You can play all that music all you want to. We're not gonna worship this idol. And so then if you throw us in the fire, the God that has the power, remember the one that you said is the God of kings and the one that you said is the revealer of mysteries? That God, he can save us from the fire. And if he does, awesome. Or that God may choose to let us perish in the fire. And if he does, that's okay too. Because either way, we are not gonna bow down to this image. This is the kind of faith that moves mountains. This is the kind of faith that walks on water. This is the kind of faith that says, in your life, you have got to be able to say, if the whole world worships this false idol, I'm not gonna do it. I don't care what they say. It's the type of faith that says, I don't care if my boss or my leader or my teacher or somebody tells me to do something that I know I'm not supposed to be doing. Students, that does not mean test or homework. If I know God says I should not do this, I'm not doing it. There's no question, there's no thought. I'm gonna be obedient, I'm gonna be faithful no matter what comes. It's the kind of faith that says, I won't be pressured into doing anything if the whole world follows this path and God tells me not to, I'm not gonna do it. And if I get thrown into the fire, I know God can save me and I'll praise him on the earth. And if God doesn't save me, then I'll praise him in the heavens. But either way, I will be faithful and obedient to the Lord. King Nebuchadnezzar's response, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace, then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace, heated up seven times hotter than it usually is, which just shows the king's being erratic. He's mad and he's upset and he's not thinking clearly because if he really wanted to punish them, he'd have lowered the heat. That way they would stay alive and they would suffer longer. But instead he raises the heat and the men who bound them and threw them in, it was so hot when they got there, they threw them in and the flames overwhelmed them and those men died in the fire. 
Alan Patterson says, circumstances don't make a man. They reveal him. Like tea bags, our real strength comes out when we get into hot water. Here we see examples of men who are in a hot water situation and what it reveals about them. And you can think about which one of these that you act like when you're in hot water. Some people act like King Nebuchadnezzar. Whenever things don't go your way and when you find a stone or a rock in your path, you feel like you're being put in a corner and a consequence is coming, your face turns. You get real mad, you yell, you scream, you throw a fit, you start telling people what to do, and you throw people into fire. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. That will not help you in this world. When we think about the stories and the accounts we've looked at so far, Peter could have gotten really mad and said, here I am in this boat, and I'm trusting the Lord. I'm stepping out in the water, and now I'm sinking. Lord, why am I even here? And he could have started getting mad and upset and yelling and screaming. Gideon could have got really mad and upset and said, Lord, why do you tell me that I'm blessed and highly favored when I'm hiding down here in the wine press and he could have just thrown a fit like Nebuchadnezzar? The prodigal son could have got really mad and said, all that was supposed to happen was I was supposed to get my third of my inheritance and I was gonna go and invest it in Bitcoin and be a billionaire in three days and instead I lost everything and now I'm longing to eat the pongs of the pigs. Yeah, on the screen. That might be your reaction. Don't be like King Nebuchadnezzar. Don't yell and scream and get mad, frustrated, and turn your face sour when you walk through the fires of the life. Don't be like the mighty men either. The mighty man said, we'll just do whatever the king tells us to do, even if it leads us straight to death. There's gonna be times in your life that people will lead you down a path you know you're not supposed to go down. Don't go down the path. It will lead you to a place that you never want to be. Stand firm. And the truth. Or you can respond to the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and have a faith that says, no matter what, I'm gonna be obedient to God. No matter what, I'm gonna be faithful. No matter what, I'm following Jesus and nobody else. Be like Peter who says, I'm gonna step out of this boat and I might walk on the water or I might sink, but it's worth the risk. Be like the prodigal son says, you know, my dad may not accept me. He may not let me on the property. He may kick me out. But I'm still gonna go home and try because it's worth the risk. You'd be like Gideon says, God has shown me time and time again that he is faithful. And I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm still gonna be true to him because it's worth the risk. We have to fight this fear, and when we do, Number three, we'll feel that freedom. There used to be a very popular TV show called Extreme Home Makeover. And they would take somebody's home that was either needed to be redone or just destroyed and rebuilt. And the show would be very quick. There'd be like 50,000 people that would help rebuild a whole home in like 30 minutes. And then at the ending show, right before they reveal the new home to the family, they'd have this big charter bus and the host would be like, okay, we've worked really hard, and we've made this amazing place for you, and you're about to see it, but they would stand on this side, and then there'd be the bus, the house on the other side. So for them to see and to experience and to know what was on the other side, they had this big moment where he'd say, bus driver, move that bus, and the bus would move out of the way, and everybody would be clapping and cheering, going, oh, look at this big mansion, it's amazing. But there was something between them and the home. 
something standing in between that had to move out of the way for them to be able to go there. And what stands between us and this freedom that we can feel is often the fear of the unknown, the fear of what may happen, the fear of the consequence, stepping out in faith if we choose this path, and we have to get over that fear and move that fear so we can get to where God wants us to be. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar, he was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So he asked this question to his counselors. He's looking maybe from an overview going, huh, something strange is happening here. And so he goes, didn't we throw three people in that fire? And they're going, oh, yes, king. What else are they going to say, right? You would agree with anything of the king. You'll be throwing the fire. Yeah, yeah, we threw three in there. Well, right now I see four in the fire, and they're not harmed, and they're walking around. I think they're playing Scrabble down there in the midst of the fire. What in the world is going on here? The ESV says that this image of the fourth may be the pre-incarnate Jesus. It may be an angel sent by God. We don't know exactly. What we do know is this was a physical demonstration of God's presence with his children in a time of distress. Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar, he came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors, they gathered together and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Notice the picture that we would expect. They pulled them out of the fire, and they was messed up. Their clothes were burnt. Their skin was covered. They're never going to have fingers or walk again, but at least they were saved because they got them out of there quickly. No, no, no. The image is this thing was seven times hotter. They should have been incinerated immediately, and yet they're hanging out in the fire, walking around, and he talks to them and says, hey, you guys come out of there, and they walk, they climb out, no hair singed, and they don't even smell like smoke. And people say the Old Testament's boring. Incredible. Now let me give you a disclaimer. In no way is this God telling you that today you need to go home and throw yourself in a fire pit so he can prove that he still does miracles. He does. Instead, this is proof that when we follow God in obedience, he will be there with us. But here's one of our spiritual and physical faults. We often only proclaim the goodness of God when he does the things that we want him to do. And so let me tell you what that looks like on social media. It looks like somebody says, my family member was in a car wreck but not a scratch on him. God is good. 
My grandpa got a diagnosis that is not favorable from the doctor, but he had surgery and now he's cancer free. God is good. And those things were true. But what we don't see on Facebook is my loved one was in a car wreck and they didn't make it. God is good. Or my grandpa got a diagnosis and it's going to be a rough few weeks or months and they don't give him much hope. God is good. Whether or not the circumstance comes out the way we want it to has absolutely zero to do with the fact that God is good. Real faith says, Nebuchadnezzar, you can chunk us in that big fire pit, and one of two things is going to happen. Either we'll be just fine because God's going to save us, and that's awesome, or we'll die in that fire and go to glory with our Savior. That's pretty awesome too. So either way, you can't hurt me. It takes a lot of faith, a lot of strength on our part to be able to say, whether it's good or bad, whether it's what I want or what I do not want, that doesn't change the fact that God is good and I trust him no matter what happens. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside all the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their houses be laid in ruins. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Blessed be the God of these men because he saw what he could do. They refused to bow down. And so what would it look like if we had that kind of faith that whenever God says go, we just say where? Whenever God says speak, we just say give me the words. Whenever God says serve, we say who and how. And when God says give, we just say how much because we know it's worth the risk. I have personally never had an apron in my life. But many of you, Maybe have an apron that you wear when you're cooking or when you're grilling. Or maybe you grew up with a mom or a grandma who wore one when they were in the kitchen. I saw an article that said, this is the history of aprons. I don't think many kids know what an apron is today. The principal use of mom or grandma's apron was to protect the dress underneath because she only had a few. It was also because it's easier to wash an apron than a dress because aprons use less material. But along with that, an apron served as a potholder for pulling hot pans out of the oven. An apron was wonderful for drying children's tears. On occasion, it could be used to clean out dirty ears. From the chicken coop, an apron could carry eggs, fussy chicks, or even sometimes half-hatched eggs to finish in the warming oven. When company came over, the aprons were an ideal hiding place for a shy child. When weather was cold, mom or grandma could wrap their arms up with their apron to stay warm. Those big old aprons could wipe away a perspiring brow as they were bent over a hot wooden stove. Chips and kindling wood were brought in from outside to the kitchen in the apron. 
from the garden. It carried all sorts of vegetables. After the peas had been shelled, it carried all the holes back outside. In the fall, the apron was used to bring in apples that had fallen from the tree. When unexpected company drove up, it was surprising how much furniture that an old apron could dust in a matter of seconds. When dinner was ready, she could walk on the porch and wave the apron, and everyone knew it was time to come in for dinner. It will be a long time before someone invents something that will replace the old-time apron that served so many purposes. I've never thought about all the purposes that an apron can have. Keep you clean, to carry, to wipe. Many of you didn't know all those purposes. Sometimes we don't know all the purposes of the fires that we walk through or the bumps in our road, the challenges, the temptations, or the consequences that we face. But here's what we know to be absolutely true. We have to find our footing, which means before the trial, before the test, before the attack, before the hardship ever comes, we predetermine that we will be intentionally obedient without hesitation. In that place, you will find a freedom like you have never experienced. We're gonna face the fear and know that nothing happens to us that God does not first give permission. So let the world take its best shot and throw us in the fire if they will. God can save us. And if he doesn't, as long as he's with us, it's gonna be okay. We have to feel the freedom, feel the peace and the joy and the hope that only comes when we know that with every faithful step we take, we'll always walk in obedience because it's worth the risk. 